We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Substance, make some noise wherever you are at. You did it. You made it to church. And and I'm so glad you're here today. Can we just welcome everybody joining us in downtown, West Side, Monterey, Mexico, churches all over the world. We love you guys, and it's kind of a big Sunday. We had a snowstorm this morning, and so you're really glad you made it to church. No, seriously, I'm so blessed that you're here, and if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and I, I... uh, before we go any deeper, I, I do want to just quickly highlight something. Many of you guys know this last week, I, I preached a message called, You Will Hear of Wars. Kind of a very dramatic title, okay? Unfortunately, I'm just a dramatic person. But I, I just, no, in all seriousness, though, I, I, in light of all the, the, the things going on in the news, I really felt like um, all the global change happening through the war in Ukraine, I really felt like, uh, you know, I was deeply concerned about it all, and, uh, and so this last week I, I preached a message called uh, You Will Hear of Wars, really to give you a big picture filter. I, I wanted to give you a divine filter so that when you're ingesting all of the news, when you're ingesting all of the implications, that you can look at everything through a spiritual filter. I'm always, one of the top things that I'm always praying is, is God, I wanna, I wanna see what you see, I wanna feel what you feel. I wanna be able to look at things through the eyes of heaven, and yet sometimes we don't always see things through the eyes of heaven, right? And so I, I wanted to kind of help you uh, get a spiritual filter for all that. And so I encourage you, if you haven't heard it yet, go back this week and, uh, and just check that out. Because I, I, today what I wanted to do was give you kind of a, a, a part two to that that's a little bit more of an application to that. The last point that I preached this last week is get your spiritual life in shape. And, and so your, your prayer life in shape. And I, I, in order to do that, I, I wanted to, to preach on that a little bit more. And so uh, today, hopefully by the end of today, you guys are gonna be all juiced up about prayer. You're gonna be pumped about it. I wanna give you a faith injection that'll just give you a little extra motivation to pray. Because here's the truth. If you really wanna change the world, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I urge then... First of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that, here's why, okay? You wanna know why we should be praying this? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. If you wanna know why we pray, why do we pray for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, okay? So now, uh, think about this. Why should we pray for our authorities? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Prayer is what leads to peace. If you're a Christian, that's what we believe, that prayer leads to peace. And notice, Paul isn't asking unchurched people to pray uh, because they don't even believe in prayer, right? Rather, he's asking Christians, you and I, we are the thermostat of peace on planet Earth. You understand that, right? We, so when there's a lack of peace on planet Earth, that's something that, that hey, that, that's a sign that God's people need to rise up and pray a little bit more. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of Christians who believe in prayer up here intellectually, but we don't actually believe in prayer down here in our hearts and in, in, in everyday life. And so here's how to know if you pr- actually believe in prayer. 
do you do it? You know what I'm saying? Acts 2.42 says the church was devoted to prayer. Acts 2.42, well, how do you know if you're devoted to prayer? Well, if somebody followed you around for a full week and recorded everything you did every 15 minutes and wrote it down on a list, and at the end of that week, somebody was to look at that list of everything you did in the previous week, would that thing say you are devoted to prayer? Now, I, I don't say that to guilt you because that's actually a filter that the Lord has for, for my own personal life, but uh, here's the deal. I, prayer is a privilege, okay? Prayer is a privilege, and, and you know you believe it. Like, prayer actually is something that you don't have to do. You get to do. And so the moment it feels like an obligation, this is a sign to you, and I'm, I'm just telling you this. This is reliable, okay? The moment prayer feels like an obligation, it is a sign that you are believing lies about God. And you may not even know it. Okay, so when the moment prayer feels like an obligation, it's a sign we're believing lies about God. And so today what I wanna do is, is I wanna study a passage out of 2 Kings chapter three that's gonna just sweep away those lies, okay? I'm gonna target some of those lies that erode the motivation, the celebration of prayer. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter three. And of course, I'll have it up on my fancy TV as well. But uh, before we dive into the text, here's what I wanna do is I wanna give you the context to the story that we're going to study, because it's kind of a long story, and so I wanna summarize the little first portion of it. Um, God's people, the Israelites, were falling apart. Um, actually, by this point in the, in, in the Bible text, they, God's people had actually split into two different countries, Israel and Judah. 10 of the 12 tribes, Israel had actually fallen away from the Lord, okay? So Israel is not serving the Lord in this passage. Only Judah, the remnant of God, was serving the Lord. And they were, Judah was led by a godly king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And so those of you who are pregnant and you're looking for a nice name, right there, boom, Jehoshaphat. And so, uh, no, he was a godly king though, okay? Uh, Jehoshaphat was the, was, was the leader of the remnant. And of course, uh, to make matters worse, there was this crazy foreign king at the time, the king of Moab, who is starting a war against the whole region, just making a menace to the whole region. And you gotta understand, the king of Moab was kinda crazy. I mean, this is a guy who sacrificed his adult son to Chemosh. This is, Chemosh was the god of the Moabites. Literally, in order to get more favor from Chemosh, he took his son and burned him alive on the altar. I mean, just, I mean, and you thought your dad was bad. I'm just saying, okay. Another level, okay, so this is, this, this, this war is happening. War has come to their, their footstep, and they gotta deal with this. And so even though Israel and Judah didn't normally get along, they decide, along with this third country, Edom, to march through the desert, which is risky. They had to form a military alliance to stop Moab, and, and of course, now they're, you know, which was, you know, a very, very tenuous alliance, and, and now they're marching through the desert. They're seven days into this march, and sure enough, everything is going wrong. They're running out of water. The animals were dying, and so there they are, seven days into this march, and two of the three kids Kings were ungodly and they start freaking out, we're gonna die and what's wrong? And finally Jehoshaphat, the, the godly king, is like, time out, time out. You know what we need? We need to find a godly prophet. We need to ask for God's opinion in all this, right? He was, he was like the one guy saying, we need to seek God in the midst of this. And I, I, I think about that and I think, how easy is it for you and I to make decisions without consulting God first? 
But see, back in the days of David, before David would ever go into the battle, he would always seek the, 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 the prophetic from, from the Lord, from the prophet. And so finally, Jehoshaphat's like, time out, guys. We need to find a godly prophet in the area who can speak to this. Where's the godly prophet? And they're like, well, Elisha is the guy, but you know, he... He's kind of mean, you know, and they're like, ah, okay, let's go see Elisha. And Elisha, you know, sure enough, Elisha's like, bro, you want to seek the prophecy of the Lord? Come on, two of you three kings don't even believe in God. Don't even give a rip about God. Now you want God's help, right? And finally, Elisha's like, okay, I'll tell you what God's thinking in this battle, but only because of Jehoshaphat. And so the other kings are like, fine, whatever, okay? And this is where we pick up in the story in verse 16, okay? Second Kings 3, 16 says this, and Elisha said, this is the prophecy. He's like, you wanna know what God's thinking about this battle? Here's where, what he's thinking. This is what the Lord says. This dry valley that you're marching through where your animals are dying and everybody's thirsty, this dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord. But this valley will be filled with water. You will have what? Plenty, I want you to notice that word, plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord. This is only a simple thing for the Lord for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. In other words, you're worried about your thirst and surviving. Okay, that's a simple thing. God's not only gonna take care of your thirst, he's gonna take care of Moab. You will be victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even their fortified ones, even the ones that seem impossible, even the ones where the odds are against you, even when you are outgunned, outmatched, everything. You're gonna have victory even in those areas. So now, this is kind of a strange prof, uh, promise, if you think about it, prophecy. Uh, Elisha says there's not gonna be any rain whatsoever, yet somehow the valley is gonna fill with water, okay? I mean, it's kind of a promise that, that only God could fulfill, wouldn't you say? And so let, let's skip down to verse 20 and find out what happens. The next day, at about the time the morning sacrifice was offered, that's about 9 a.m., uh, if you don't know, uh, the water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom. And, and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword and they stationed themselves along their border, okay? So the plot is getting thicker, right? But when they got up the next morning, Okay, so they had to go to sleep, thirsty. They got up the next morning. The sun was shining across the water, filling this valley flowing from Edom, okay? Making it appear red to the Moabites, like blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies must have attacked each other. Uh, let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder, okay? So from the vantage point of Moab, um, it looks like the three armies destroyed each other, which was actually very common in ancient warfare before there were standardized uniforms and standardized weapons. It was very hard, and it was uh, to tell who's who, right? Especially when they're, uh, you know, men from different nations, and so the Moabites are thinking, oh my gosh, they killed each other, how awesome. Let's go loot the bodies, let's steal their 
their wallets, all that kind of stuff, okay? So check this out, verse 24, we get to the end. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them until they turned, until they turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. Okay, now, so, so God ended up delivering them. It ended up being a big dramatic story. Like, against all odds, we have another war victory story where, where, where God allowed his people to prevail. Now, here's what I wanna do, okay? I wanna take this simple little story and I'm gonna pull out a couple takeaways that I think actually address the issue of unanswered prayer or delays in prayer, which are the very moments when our minds get all, we start overthinking everything, okay? So now when I give these four takeaways though, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to think about some area in your life where you could use a breakthrough, okay? So just wherever you're at, just even what those of you watching online, just close your eyes for a second. Think about an area that's really stressing you out. Where do you have a burden? Where, where maybe for you it, it, it has to do with your finances. You, you just need a financial miracle. Or maybe for you it deals with your family. You've got a loved one you want to know the Lord or you've got a, a marriage or parenting issue. Maybe you've got something going on in your physical body today and it's just... Oh, it's, it's stressing you out for others of you. You're trying to overcome an addiction. Maybe it's a, a circumstantial thing like your job, your boss, your coworkers, just whatever it is, okay? I, whenever something comes to mind, I want you to look up here because when I share these four takeaways from this text today, I want you to use these takeaways to speak to that situation because chances are some of you, you're believing lies and you don't even know it. That's the way the devil works, is he just whispers these things in your ears so subtly, so simply that all of a sudden you wake up and you just start believing lies that you didn't even realize you were believing. And so the first takeaway is this, okay? And some of you, uh, the lie that you're, you're, you're thinking is that, oh, my situation is too complex. But first takeaway is this, is whatever is overwhelming to us is simple for the Lord. Remember verse 18? But this is only a simple thing for the Lord. Do you realize how big God is? Do you realize that he speaks and universes come into existence? Do you think it's hard for God? you think your circumstance is hard for God? Come on. Whatever is overwhelming to us, it's simple for God. He can, come on, he can take a dry valley and fill it with water like this. He can take a, a non-rainstorm and yet still have water everywhere. He can take nothing and make it a, a land of plenty. Come on, he can even kill two birds with one stone like he did in this story. Listen, whatever your issue is, you need to know it is a simple thing for the Lord. God is bigger than your problem, okay? Second takeaway, and I'm just gonna rapid fire go through these things and then we're gonna, we're gonna camp on some of them, okay? Second takeaway, when God provides, there is an abundance. Remember verse 17, you will have plenty, plenty. That's what the Lord does. This is the type of, he's a God of abundance, the Bible says. And not just for yourselves, but so much that it overflows onto everything else in your life. Your cattle. Come on, somebody. God cares about your cattle. And even more than that, as if that wasn't for yourselves and for your cattle and your other animals. Some of you, you took your pet gerbil into battle, right? We don't even know why you brought your pet gerbil along. Oh, but he's my lucky hamster. You know what I'm saying? He's my comfort animal. Okay, listen. God doesn't just provide for you. He provides for your cattle and the other animals, which means God provides for the little things in your life. You're out there and you're like, oh God, do you care? about the little things. Listen, God, some of you, you act like God only cares about big things, but he cares about the little things in your life. He cares about your hangnails, your bad hair days. Come on, that's why it says, cast everything, all your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. You know what I'm saying? Cast your burdens, all of them. 
He cares for you, if Peter says. And so, listen, uh, so some of you, that, that's the other lie, is you think God only cares about big things. Nope, he cares about small things. When he provides, there's an abundance. Third takeaway, God did it. God did this miracle even though none of them deserved it. Even Jehoshaphat, at the end of the day, didn't deserve it. Even the godly king didn't deserve it. I mean, come on, just, Jehoshaphat shouldn't have even been in that alliance in the first place. Even more than that, he was a seasoned leader. He was the most seasoned leader of the three kings going into war. He shouldn't have been deferring to the rookie king of Israel. I mean, he shouldn't have taken that path through the desert. That was a dumb idea from the outset, right? And in a similar way, the reason why I point that out is because I think there's a lot of people that they don't wanna pray for things because subtly, maybe deep in their soul, maybe they don't even realize that they have this weird guilt thing going on where they feel like, I don't deserve to ask God for deliverance in that area. Why? Because I should have known better. Let me give you an example of this, okay? Uh, years ago, my, my wife and I had a friend who was trying to get out of debt, and uh, she was making some efforts to get out of debt. She had just taken a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. And, and of course, every time though we wanted to pray for her, just to, you know, just to, hey, we really believe that God wants to help you with this. And she's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to pray for that. And we were like, well, why not? Like, and she goes, no, I just don't want you wasting any time praying for me to get out of debt. And my wife and I thought, well, that's kind of weird. You know, like, how, how often do people, like, turn down prayer for financial blessing? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and we kept pushing, like, well, what, what's your deal there? Like, I, I'm just, like, why would you turn down prayer there? And she goes, you really want to know? You really want to know the truth? Honestly, I don't want you to pray for me to get out of debt because you know what? I got myself into that by being foolish. I knew better. I knew better. I knew I wasn't supposed to use credit cards as a loan. I, but, but did I? Yes. I knew I was supposed to be content in that area. And was I? No. And so, to be honest, I deserve this. And so, I don't want you praying for it because ultimately, I don't believe I've, I can ask God to help me here. In other words, she was thinking that somehow God is up in heaven saying, nope, you're gonna have to do this one on your own. You know what I'm saying? And I kept thinking about like, really what she was doing is, what a lot of us do when we're in difficulty is we, 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 we try to motivate ourselves with guilt, right? We actually think to ourselves, well, I got myself into this, therefore I need to get myself out of it. But actually, God never expects you to get yourself out of the ditch. Actually, that, that's the whole point of Christianity is you got stuck in a ditch and there's nothing you could do to get out of it. That's the whole point. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you, Romans 5, 8. I, I just kept thinking, and so finally I told her, hey, listen, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, they, th this is gonna sound really strange, but they think, oh, if I prayed today and read my Bible and maybe helped a granny cross the road, then, then I'm worthy enough to ask God for things. You know what I'm saying? In other words, it's a behavior-based identity. You can approach God when you are feeling good about yourself, and I feel really spiritual. Actually, th that's twisted, okay? We call that a behavior-based identity. The reason why you're able to approach God is because Christ died for you, not because you're good. Not because you were good this last week versus bad. Listen, your, your performance, your behavior has nothing to do with your access to God. Your access to God comes through the cross 
has nothing to do with you, okay? And, and that's, a, that's, that's actually the good news here is that your credibility, your authority, your access to the throne of grace has nothing to do with you. And, and, but the moment you start thinking that way, actually, that's pretty twisted because you, then you're gonna take credit for your successes as well, okay? So God doesn't ask us to clean up before he, he asks us to come to him. He's like, let me clean you up, okay? And, and so let me, if you have a behavior-based identity today, let me cut through the clutter by giving you one verse that tells you who God is and what he does. Psalm 86, five, the Lord is forgiving and good. He's abounding in love to all who call on him. Even if you don't feel like you deserve his love today, listen, that doesn't, that's not a part of this. He says, to all who call on him. Whether you deserve it or not, he's abounding in love, okay? He's forgiving, he's good. And not only is he generous, he's abounding in love. He's not rationing off his love for you today. He's not saying, well, I'll give you a little bit of love because you helped a granny cross the road. That's not who God is. God is generous. He's gonna do it whether or not you deserve it simply by virtue of the fact that you called on him today. And so listen, I don't know where you're at, but I'm asking you, I'm begging you, just be open to God's generosity. That's who he is, that's what he does. He wants to, he longs to reveal himself. And, and, and honestly, the best way to reveal God's grace to the world is just to receive it and reflect it. It's that simple. The best way to reflect God's grace to the world is receive it and reflect it. It's not even about you, you're just a conduit in all of this. You're kinda like a stained glass window in the dark there's nothing brilliant about you until the light shines in you and through you. It's, it's Christ who shines in you. That's Christ in you, your hope of glory, okay? So let's just set that behavior-based identity aside so that way it doesn't rob you of your prayer life. That's the lie that you're believing, okay? And, and now, the fourth takeaway, coming back to the text one last time, I find it interesting that God actually had this thirsty army go to bed thirsty. If you really think about when he proclaimed it through Elisha, he's like, this is gonna happen, but they still had to go to bed trusting God that ah, it hasn't happened yet. Okay, so they still had to go to bed thirsty, why? Well, there was a timing to this miracle. Think about it, God knew if I do the water trick, when the sun is at this particular angle to the Moabites, it's gonna look like blood, which is ultimately gonna lead to their deliverance. And so some of you in the midst of your delay, here's the takeaway. Our delays are often connected to our deliverance. In other words, the timing was critical. God had to do it in a very particular way in order for the miracle to work. And for some of us, we think that our timeline is the litmus test of God's goodness. It's not true at all, okay? You see, to, to the Israelites, the, the water was just a drink, but to God it was both a drink and the deliverance. He was trying to do, kill two birds with one stone. In church, I can't tell you how many times I've heard seasoned Christians tell me as they look back on their lives, wow, I am so glad God didn't answer that prayer. I am so glad God didn't promote me. If God promoted me back when I was praying for promotion, man, that promotion would have destroyed me because I didn't have the character to handle that promotion. Or I'm so glad God didn't allow me to get pregnant at that time because man, that would have wrecked my marriage. You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you how many times I personally looked back on my life in thinking hindsight was 2020. I am so glad. There was one property our church was looking at one time that I wanted that property so bad. Well, guess what? It fell through and I was devastated, but guess what I found out a year or two later? That, that property had toxic soil, come on. 
we would, have had, we would have had unlimited liability on that. God's up in heaven saying, oh, loved one, you don't want what you want. You want what I want, okay? That's why you gotta trust him. Sometimes you gotta go to bed thirsty until all of a sudden it makes sense. And so my greater point is this, is don't allow all the twists and turns to undermine your prayer life. At some point, we're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna trust God no matter what it looks like, and I'm gonna trust his timeline no matter what it looks like. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, Pastor Peter, I, like, what do you, how do you pray on a regular basis? Like, what do you do? And, and, and like I say with everything, always start small. Just start two minutes of prayer every day. You gotta establish the habit before you improve on it. But just start simple. But I, I, if you're out there and you don't know how to even talk with God, it's, it's really just that simple. Prayer is talking with God. In fact, actually think of the word talk like an acronym, T-A-L-K. And, and it has four verbs in that little acronym, okay? If you wanna have like a simple little rubric, a simple little uh, way to, to go about prayer on a regular basis that I think will be fruitful for you, just take the word talk and split it into an acronym like this. Start out with, start out with thanksgiving and gratitude. Just worship God with thanksgiving. Thank him for what he's already done. And if you don't have miracles that you can thank God for in your personal life that he's done maybe in past years, then thank him for what he's done in other people's lives. Thank him for what he's done in scripture in the days of old, okay? Just find some miracles of God that you can thank him for and, and then go on to the next thing. Ask him for provision. A, 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 a fancier word is supplication. It's asking God for things. I believe that God wants us to ask him for things. Number three, listen to his spirit speak to your conscience. In other words, get, get prophetic here. Just stop and, and, and wait on God. And then finally, the fourth verb is kneel in submission and worship. Not my will, but yours be done. Talk to God. Now, just let me, let me camp on these just a little bit more. Okay, when you start out your prayer life with thanksgiving and gratitude, what it does is that it expands your faith. I, I believe that the, before you even ask God for a simple thing, just, ask, just expand your faith. Magnify the, the size of God. Make him bigger than your problem. That's what thanksgiving does. That's what worship does is it makes God bigger than your problem. And then you move on to the second action verb, ask for provision. Listen, some of you are like, but wait, Pastor Peter, doesn't he already know what I need before I ask, Matthew 6, 8? Yes, he does. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to verbalize it still. I think that even though God knows what we need before we ask, I believe God loves it when we actually tell him what we want. Even if it's imperfect, even if he knows something better than we know, uh, I believe that God loves it when we articulate our needs. Why? Because what we're doing is, is we're flexing that faith muscle. When we speak out the things we want God to do, I believe it's, 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 not, um, it's not impertinence, it's not imposing on God, it's actually honoring God. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 7, it, it, 7, 7, he says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. God loves us It's because it, it's flexing that faith muscle, okay? God, it's just like he said to, in the story of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus said, what do you want? He didn't assume that this blind man wanted healed sight. He, he said, tell me what you want. I want you to articulate so that you're flexing that faith muscle. I believe God wants us to articulate that faith muscle by asking. And finally, uh, the, the third verb here is, is listen. Listen to his prophetic voice. Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm not a very mystical person. Listen, I'm not asking you to be mystical, I'm just asking you to just stop, quiet your soul, and let God nudge you. Sometimes it's as simple as that. He's just, he's nudging you in your conscience. Hey, call this person, pray for that person, do this, do that. Little things like that, just a little nudge. And maybe you're out there and you're 
you're like, yeah, but Pastor Peter, how do I know it's not my overactive imagination? Come on, are you out there with an overactive imagination? Come on, any overactive imagination people? Yeah, exactly. How do you know? It's the difference between prophetic and pathetic. You know what I'm saying? How do you know? Well, again, you don't always know. It takes faith. That's why the Bible says if a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Romans 12. Okay, so there is a faith element in all of this. And that's why, again, we also judge the prophetic by God's word. So if the Lord tells you to kill your neighbor, okay, that's probably not God. Okay, you know, because you can say, the Bible says, do not kill. Okay, so you get the idea. You get the idea here. Okay, so you judge it. But I, I do believe that, that this is actually where prayer gets really fun. And some of you, you've been missing out on this. I, over the years, I can't tell you how many times the Lord has just, the moment I stop, I'm praying for my family, and then I, I stop, and then all of a sudden, it's like God just starts nudging me. Well, do this with your kids. Do this for your date night. It's just speaking to me about little nudges that end up being miracles in my family. Like, let me give you an example, okay? Really practical stuff. I, a while back, I was, I was winterizing my house, and of course, I was just getting, I was kind of cleaning out my garage, you know, before winter comes, and, and I, I, I needed to find my air condition cover. I just bought a new air condition cover for my air conditioner uh, for the winter, and yet I couldn't find it, and I'm like, where is my, I just it. I'm like, I do not want to buy another cover, just on principle, you know, because I'm kind of a cheapskate. And so I'm, I'm just like, I do not want to buy another one. And, and, and I, I think I looked for it for almost 45 minutes, and I was so frustrated. I checked every location for it like five times. And Have you ever been there? You're just ah, frustrated. And of course, I, I'm cleaning out my entire garage looking for this cover. I couldn't find it. Finally, my wife stopped me, and she asked me the ultimate question, Peter, did you pray about it? Which is kind of irritating when somebody goes spiritual on you. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, Miss is spiritual, did I pray about it? No. <laughs> but I should. And, and I, I'm like, okay, okay, God, <sighs> you know where my air condition cover is. Would you just reveal it to me? And I, I just remember in that moment, I just closed my eyes and I'm like, just speak to me about it. And I don't, I don't know how else to describe this. It was the weirdest thing. It was almost like my imagination kicked in and it was like almost like x-ray vision, and I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but I don't know how else to describe it. I, all of a sudden, I had this vision of the corner of my garage in between these rafters in the wall. I just had this vision of my air conditioning cover being down in this like crack in, the, in between you know, the, the wall. And so I'm like, that, that, there's no way that's where it is. And yet I'm like, what have I got to lose? And so I went over to the wall. I put my ladder up on the wall. I climbed up on the ladder. I reached my hand down into that dark area where it's like, I don't want to touch that. And I reached my hand down in there, and boom, I pulled out the air conditioning cover exactly like the Lord just. Okay, so then now I'm kind of like freaking out, like, oh my gosh, that was weird. That was weird. And, and, and you know, I, in that moment, I could suddenly understand why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Why? Because God wants you and I to live out a supernatural life. Are you hearing me? God wants to speak about practical things, and he also wants to speak about big things. And I wonder, some of you, it's almost like you have this prophetic email that you haven't checked in years. You didn't even, you remember the one that you, the, the, the email that you forgot to log into, and all of a sudden you log in and boom, it's like 9,000 messages. 
I believe that for some of you, God has like 9,000 messages about your marriage, about your parenting, about your job, about your investments, about your spiritual life that you just haven't been listening. Come on, this is the coolest part of prayer. But you know what? In order to get that, we have to stop and learn how to listen. And, and I know that the, the prophetic might be a, a newer thing for some of you, but I, I wanna encourage you, just, just try it. Just try listening to God, thanking God, asking God, listening to God, and finally kneeling in surrender and worship. It's, it's, it's like what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, if there's a way, I can be the savior of the world without having to go to the cross. Lord, uh, take this cup from me. And yet, he says, yet not not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he surrendered in that moment to the heavenly father, and it was a big, beautiful thing. Um, I, I think at some point, we, it's, it's good to ask God for things, but we still have to say, finish up that prayer with, yet not my will, but yours be done. And sometimes that means we're gonna have some long, thirsty nights before the breakthrough happens. Are you hearing me, church? But it's simple. Just talk to him, talk to him. I, I just... You know, and in light of everything going on in Ukraine, I, I just, I wanna build your faith that God can actually do crazy things. I've heard so many miracle stories. I really do believe that prayer is the thermostat of peace. I, I, I just, years ago, uh, before, right before I planted substance, I, I got to hear the testimony of a woman uh, by the name of Anna, who, uh, Anna loves to take intercessory prayer trips. Her passion, which is kind of unique, but uh, she loves to go to some of the most demonic places on earth, the places that are most closed to the gospel, and she loves to do intercessory prayer trips to some of these locations. So she would even travel to like war-torn places because, you know, again, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so she loved to do these intercessory prayer trips to take on those principalities and powers. And of course, on one of her prayer trips, she uh, came upon in this particular country an old temple that was notorious for witchcraft. In fact, this particular temple throughout its history had been used for child sacrifice in this particular religion. And although that practice had stopped by the time she got there, there was still a lot of awful toxic stuff that Anna felt was like the outgrowth of this temple. Like a lot of things like child sex trafficking, things like that in the region were related to this witchcraft religion. And so she thought, you know what? Let's get a group of Christians and let's just circle it in prayer. You know what I mean? Kind of like, let's do the old school Jericho march. Let's just go around to all the altars. Let's anoint them in the name of Jesus and just kind of tear down those strongholds and proclaim this place belongs to God. You know what I'm saying? And so, so that's exactly what they did. And they, everywhere they went around this temple, they just said, God, would you rob this place of its power? Rob this place of its power. Just rob this demonic stronghold so that this is a place devoted to God. And get this, okay, literally as they were finishing their prayer meeting, they all of a sudden felt this like earthquake, like a, like a physical, literal earthquake. Their ground started shaking and they're like, oh my gosh, did you feel that? And they're like, yeah, I I felt that. Did you feel that? Like, yeah, that was like, what the heck was that? And then they thought, what if that was God just saying, hey, I hear you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, you know, because actually God did that twice in the New Testament. Right after the prayer meeting, they, the, the ground shook. You've heard the classic story of Paul and Silas praying and worshiping in the prison and then God did an earthquake. Or, or like in Acts chapter two, it, it actually says that in Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And so they started thinking, well, like, what if that was God? Like, what if God was just kind of doing the same New Testament miracle? Well, get this. That night on the news, of course, sure enough, they were like, yeah, an earthquake struck at that exact time. And, and, uh, and, and what was crazy is that temple 
during the earthquake experienced a massive crack all through the foundation of the temple. And, and, and so the, the priest of that temple ended up going on the news two weeks later and said, hey, there's this terrible crack across the, the foundation of our temple and we've, we've flown in dozens of engineers from various countries to see if they could fix it. And, and um, the engineers say there's no way we can fix it, that ultimately the building is gonna collapse and the city has declared that this building is no longer safe and from this point on, we're not gonna be able to worship in this temple. All I'm saying is, what if God's word is true? What if, God, what if, what if there is power when we pray? What if, what if we actually, what if, what if, what if the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual and they're, they're powerful to take down strongholds. What if, what if we're missing power simply because you and I are not doing the work of intercession that God has called us to do, to honor him with faith? And so if you're here and you're like, well, Peter, can I, can I pray that God sends an earthquake to my workplace by tomorrow? Okay, well, probably not, okay, because 1 John 5, 14 says that we have to pray in accordance with God's will. Okay, so if you're not praying in accordance with God's will, it's probably not gonna happen, but here's the truth. I do believe that someday we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna be like, I had no idea that God heard that prayer or honored that prayer. I believe that we're gonna see, actually, we're gonna look back from heaven and a whole bunch of our unanswered prayers actually were answered. They just didn't look the way we expected. And I, I, I'm just telling you, church, every prayer does matter and every prayer sets something into motion which is why I share this verse all the time. Jesus says, Luke 18, one, always pray, never give up. Always pray, never give up. Why? Because every prayer sets something into motion, whether you feel it or not. It's not about your feeling, it's about your faith. And as one last example, let me just end with this, this one final story. I, I remember when I first became a, a lead pastor, I had no idea um, how many tough decisions that I would have to make. And, you know, I, I was always, you know, I never had any enemies until I became a lead pastor. Can I just be honest with you? I never, had, I never had problems with people until, it was like the moment I became a lead pastor, it was like all of a sudden I had issues with people. It was the weirdest thing. And I knew, I knew that some of this was spiritual. I knew that this is, some of this was just the tension of leadership. And, and I'll never forget, I had to make this impossible financial decision at that time, and I'm a young leader, and I, I've never, I'd never had to lay anyone off before. I'd never had to, you know, uh, uh, for financial reasons, and, and yet that was, I was posed with the situation where I was the one that had to make the tough call, and it was excruciating. I never made a decision like that before, and I just knew that if I laid off this particular position that everyone would be devastated because everyone loved the person who played that role, and, and, and so I was just, I was torn up about it. I was trying to avoid I, I, I spent months trying to avoid this decision, and on top of all of this, I, you know, I knew there, there were politics brewing at the same time. I knew this, this decision, if I made it, was gonna stir the pot in all the wrong ways, and so just being fully honest, I didn't sleep for days. I mean, actually, to be honest, I didn't sleep for weeks over this. I could barely write sermons. I was so choked up about this. I was paralyzed with fear about having this conversation, and every day I would be like, God, can you just somehow provide another option. God, would you just provide another option? I was just, I was just praying, God, if you, can, if you can part the Red Sea, certainly you can do this. And I just prayed that every day, well, finally the deadline had come and I knew I had needed to make this decision and I called up the staff member and said, hey, can you and I have a quick meeting today? And I was dreading this, I was dreading this meeting. And, um, 
And actually, the moment I, I called them, they were like, yeah, actually, Pastor, I've been meeting to talk to you. Can I, I need to have a meeting with you as well about a couple of things. And I was like, well, what's going on? And so we finally got together, and, and he goes, Pastor, I, I feel so awful telling you this, but I just got a job offer that is so cool, and I just know it's the, I, I just know the, the opportunity is just so over the top. I just know this is God's will, and I, 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 I've been all avoiding this conversation because I'm afraid that it was gonna, you know, really devastate you, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm devastated. <laughs> you know what I mean? In my mind, I'm thinking, thank God. Like for real, and like I'm, I'm like freaking out inside. Like you know what? I think God is in this, and and then he was like, Pastor, what did you want to talk to me about? Oh, nothing. It's stupid. We don't need to. Don't worry about it. It was nothing. And of course, in my heart, I'm like, <gasps> and yet I'm trying to be like, oh, it's so sad that you're gonna go. You see, I, I just no, honestly, I I in that moment, I felt like the Lord was like looking down from heaven, saying, See, Peter, come on. Like, why did you stress yourself out? All these burdens you were carrying all that time for nothing. Actually, that entire time, you robbed yourself, is what the Lord spoke to me. And I, I think that's a prophetic word for a lot of you. Some of you, you're walking around robbed of joy. And that's actually the preeminent sign that you're out of sync, is that you don't have, you don't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The moment you're lacking any of those things, it's a sign you are out of step with the Spirit of God. It's a sign you're probably believing some lies about God and you need to sweep away some of those lies. And so uh, I, I've learned something over the years is the moments where everything feels like it's falling apart, a lot of times it's actually falling together. If you could see things from God's vantage point, it's falling together. And so I just wanna end with this. What do you need today? Where do you feel stressed? Where do you feel a lack of joy? because that's the area God wants to target with the power of his Holy Spirit. And I believe he would tell you today, hey, what you need is actually simple for me. I believe he would tell you, my provision for that is not only gonna be small, but it's gonna be generous, it's gonna be big, it's gonna be abundant. I believe the Holy Spirit would just speak to you about all of those lies. Hey, <laughs> when you're praying this thing through, God will do it even if you don't feel like you deserve it. And even more than that, hey, my timeline may look a little different, but if you'd trust me, it's actually gonna be a story that's 10 times greater than what you could have orchestrated on your own. So holy God, we just take all the areas that concern us and we lay them down before you. And I just pray that you would once again demonstrate that you are the generous God of the universe. You're not just a God who's distant, but you're our heavenly Father. You wanna have a relationship with us. And I just pray that you would lift all of the burdens off our lives, that we would truly know you and experience you the, the way that you intended us to. And, and, and church, wherever you're at, if you just, let's just all rededicate our lives to the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're new to this whole God thing. Just take whatever little bit of faith you have and just repeat this prayer after me. Just say this, say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. I trust you, in Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. With all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. 
If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.